Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. This is the Market Report for the week commencing the 3rd, Monday the 3rd of June. Andrew is, uh, I'm not going to say gallivanting, but he's off on the way to represent the UK in football. Uh, the grain trade annual football event and he's gone to Copenhagen so uh, he's probably already a few beers down so I've got the uh, the man today for the market report. So where where do I start? I mean it's been a, a firecracker of a week. It's been pretty exciting from where we've been sitting. I can't use the phrase I told you so but um, we've been banging on about the, the corn crop for several weeks now and yeah corn is the story. So there was a huge rally on the Wednesday morning down to the crop planting figures, which were miles behind. Weather forecasts are still very, very wet. Thunderstorms still forecast. All you have to do is go on to, if any of you are on Twitter, which I hope several of you are now, and we've influenced a few of you to sign up, type in no plant 19 and you'll see some horrendous pictures of fields underwater, tractors, tires underwater. It's conditions are awful on paper at the moment they're saying 30 million uh, 32 million acres of corn not getting planted it looks unlikely they're going to plant it this moment so I've got to say the corn market to us at the moment I'd like to think it's not been overdone but it, it looks like there's um, the perfect storm brewing and, and this could be the start or um, are we into the the serious rally it's been an exciting week. We've seen the price rise by £10 a tonne. That's the relationship to the UK wheat market, and we're all seeing the benefits to this. On top of this, everyone else is now clamouring around looking for more bullish stories. So we're seeing comments about Australian dryness, which is again continuing. Canadian dryness, they're now also reporting about Ukrainian and Russian drought. And just to chuck one more into the mix, China is getting dry as well. So yeah, that is this the recipe for the big rally I mean, are we talking, is £200 a tonne on the cards yet? Long, long way to go yet. I wouldn't put a bottle of wine bet on it yet with the lads in the office, but um, time will uh, time will tell. It does certainly feel like the downside is limited with everything going on. So I've just covered the wheat markets there and its relationship to corn. Let's keep an eye on those planting figures, but yeah, bullish. Feed barley, bit disappointing. It really isn't tracking with the wheat market. It's kind of sitting around 120 quid for harvest, which looks a huge discount. That's 20, 25 pound discount under wheat. There's big planting, so I'm struggling to see that one tracking too far up. But you'd like to think with the wheat rallies, you'll see some feed barley movement as well. Malting barleys, there have been some slightly more favourable rains. Let's hope this has been advantageous for um, some better quality crops out there. But I still think there's going to be a lot of variability uh, potential come harvest. Did the rains come early enough? Depending on land types, I think some of the lighter lands may have uh, struggled a bit with the lack of rainfall. Still a bit to go and, and wait to see what the quality looks like come harvest. 
Finally, Allseed Rape. Rapeseed, similar story to corn. Uh, soybeans haven't been planted. A mega rally again at the same time on uh, on Wednesday morning. Rapeseed has, has pushed up. We're seeing values for harvest in excess of 310. I still think there's a lot of excitement to come on the rapeseed market. European crops been, again, forecast lower. People estimates are coming in at 17.5 million tonnes in Europe. That's, again, a very, very tight market. A lot of questions are being asked as to whether or not the US growers switch from corn into soybeans, which are favourable for, for later plantings. But at the moment, from what we're hearing in the conversations around uh, around the trade are that the US grower will continue to bat on with planting corn. So let's uh, let's watch this space on uh, on the beans and the, uh, and the rapeseed market. So all, all in all, this is predominantly a US-based story across all commodities. Let's keep our eyes peeled tightly um, on the Monday night planting report. So um, maybe next Tuesday we'll, we'll see some more fireworks. Fingers crossed. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single variety cold pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for our feature. This week we've got John Gill here from Cosson Hall Farms. We thought we'd be try to be a little bit diverse because not trying to say we're a one-trick pony, but we've been talking about cereals and cereal farms. But we thought we'd introduce someone from the dairy sector. We did have your brother Sparky here last week, and we had his story from his side of the fence. And uh, we did ask him. He said, "You know, how's it work, brother relationship?" He said, "Oh, my brother just prefers to pull tits." So um, I thought that was a very <laughs> fond way of uh, referring to. You. Yeah, normally I add four legs and four teats, and I'm not interested unless it's got those. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah. No, I run the um, the dairy side on the business, and we run 300 autumn block calving cows, averaging seven and a half thousand liters, trying to get most of our milk from forage, mainly focusing on grazed grass. Yeah. And do you work in closely with your brother? Then, how do you, does he leave you to your own device, devices, and likewise you him? Sort yeah, of? no, we try not to interfere with each other's other side of the business if it's any anything of a large scale then we'll 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 both have an input in it but the day-to-day management and that it's i think it's important to let each other make make, oh, okay, make yeah, it as be a, your own man and do your own thing i was really interested to hear we were talking about collaboration how cereal farmers i believe aren't very good at not not collaboration but sharing information and ideas and networking but you were quite interestingly talking about how the dairy industry are quite good at that yeah, so um, basically I came back to the farm, it would be 10 years ago. When I first came back to the farm, at the time Dairy Co were proactive in AHDB, which was Dairy Co. Decided that there was a lot of dairies going out in our region. And what sort of timescale was that? Was that in the recent kind of real problems the dairy industry had? Was that- uh, no, the time before, so the the previous one of three years ago, there was a few go out, but not not a silly amount. This was back ten years ago when okay. uh, when I first came back. There was a substantial number of dairy farms going out, and Dairy Co and a lady called Shirley McMillan decided that they were going to try and create a discussion group 
of a group of 10 farmers all under the age of 30 to try and start a discussion group with the main emphasis being on cost of production and trying to reduce our cost of production and improve the systems that we are running because we we lack a little bit of support in the east due to the lack of number of cows or any livestock other than pigs and poultry so um, that was created. And, that, and so how often do you meet on that? Is that a regular... So we meet monthly at a different member's farm. Yeah, it's been going for 10 years now, and it's been um, a massive support to... What, what, have, what have the benefits been then? What have you seen individually uh, yourself? Basically, uh, we do trips every year to go and look at some of the best operators in our sector of the industry. And is this nationally? Uh, nationally, nationally so uh, next week we're in Devon uh, visiting six farms on a three-day trip. It's driven out my costs, so we, we, we're benchmarking every and, and uh, analysing every cost in, in our business, um, comparing it back to pence per litre. And um, it's allowed us to sort of drive out costs. And each year, we're doing it once a year, every year we're just improving. It's not making the big... Big, big changes, but it's each year just ironing out a few costs that might be a bit higher than they need to be. And it's also changed the system that I run. When I came back to the farm, we were milking 160 cows, sort of on a low-input system all year round, calving, and we've now taken it back. So we doubled the herd size, and uh, we paddock graze, and we um, park up the feeder wagon for um, four months of the year okay. and we um, really focus on getting as much out of grass and and I think it's improved my lifestyle and time on time off so we have busy periods and then we have quiet periods and I think it makes um, it's been a lot better for the staff as well. I think it's refreshing to hear that it's a shame that um, arable farmers don't treat it in quite the same way unfortunately I think there's probably whether it's the competitive nature of people, I'm, I'm not sure. Could I say, I would have thought the dairy industry is competitive, or, but it seems more slightly more collaborative, I suppose, from yeah, my outside I th- impression. I, I'm not too sure whether it would have worked without Shirley. If I'm honest, she um, manages each discussion, and uh, we meet on a farm, and we have the set topics, hmm. and she's very good. It's been like in a classroom again, if I'm honest. I think uh, you, you actually mentioned that. That's quite a good point to mention. A lot of our meetings tend to happen in a pub over a beer. I, I quite like the formalities of being on a farm, you know, being in the mix, open yeah. your policy. Almost. We take breaks as well. We take breaks and go for a wander around the farm, see what they've been doing or what they've changed since we were last there the previous year. Sounds good. I know I'm impressed. It sounds, sounds great. Uh, maybe farmers or arable farmers can take a leaf out of that book. That'd be a nice thing. But I, the, the other thing that I find quite interesting that it's had a very rocky period milk and you've weathered some highs well I say highs but some serious lows that's been testing on the whole industry and we've seen a lot of dairy herds disappear and being reduced also for you as a young bloke and the hours in the industry it's quite a tricky lifestyle isn't it yeah it is it is tricky that is one of the reasons that I went to the autumn block carving was to try and change the workload that we we work. Do you have envy your brother there sitting around driving a tractor? Yeah, I do sometimes envy them during the rugby season and things like that when they can just take any at the week, full weekend off and uh, yeah, not have to get up with a hangover or anything like that. Which. But how, how did you decide it? So were you always out and out from a young age, the, the dairyman, uh, your brother, I've, preferred to drive a tractor? 
ever since I can walk, I've always been obsessed yeah. with cows and yeah. just the, the management of them. I don't so much enjoy milking cows all the time, but I, I enjoy looking after them and I find them very re- rewarding. They can be incredibly frustrating, especially when they decide to get out on a Sunday night or something like that. But generally, I enjoy working with them and w- working mm. with people. That's, that's kind of just led us really nicely on something, actually. I wanted to talk about this. It can be a dodgy subject to tiptoe around, but animal welfare... Knowing you as a family and yourself and your brother, I'm, I'm sure you're well up there with the whole animal welfare thing, as I'm sure most dairy farms are. What's, what's your views at the moment? There's a massive change going in the animal welfare in the fact that the, the milk buyers are having to be a lot more proactive. We supply Arla Foods. They're having to be so much more proactive in making sure that they cannot be seen to have any issues. So they are really, it's its becoming a massive issue. Schemes which we're inspected on are becoming a lot tighter. We're having to install now with our milk contract CCTV in okay. areas of main where the milking pile of the carving yards and sick bay pens and things. So it is becoming a, a big issue. Um, but I, I, I think most farmers are welcome it. Mm. to be honest, because I don't think we have much to hide. Farming, unfortunately, does get some bad press. I would agree, but I think it's the few that spoil it for the many. In any industry, you're going to have good farmers and bad farmers like you do mm. in any other Every industry. Sector, yeah. And it's the f- the few bad ones that ruin it for the good ones. It's interesting, that, like you said, with the CCTV, obviously making massive moves with it in an industry. It's, it's impressive to hear. Um, just one, one last thing before we uh, leave you, and we've got some... Um, we're going to try some of your milk in our tasting later in our farm chat bit, so we're going to get you involved in that and keep you here a bit longer. But you've kindly brought in some of your bottles of milk and instantly I was really impressed by the labels and the branding. What was the story behind that? So that was more my wife, to be honest. She thought that we should be selling milk at the farm gate. So two years ago, we invested in a vending machine. A friend of mine um, was very proactive in raw milk sales and has done very well out of it. So we created a, a vending machine or a milk, the milk barn, as we call it. A friend of ours did some marketing and basically it's off the back of, yeah, just trying to get customers on farm, see, let children come and see where cows and understand where milk comes from. And it's been good. It's, it's nice interacting with the public. Mm. Uh, we did Open Farm Sunday last year and that was a massive success. Real surprise, we expected maybe a couple of hundred people and we got two and a half thousand people for the first year. So I've had lots of people emailing me asking whether we're doing it again this year. It's been really nice, actually. And when you do open up your gates to the public and realise that people do care about where their produce comes from and that they are interested... Well, it's nice you guys do. I'm sure there's a hell of a lot of work that goes into it to open up for very little reward. Well, I've told everyone that we're doing it every World Cup year because I I don't think I'd have any staff if I said (laughs) that we do it every year. So uh, I've decided to do a four-year and it just happened to land last year on the World Cup. So um, I thought... Yeah, that would be give a good, good marker, to be honest. John, thank you. I really appreciate you coming in. I find it fascinating. It's nice to have a diverse mix and someone else different from the industry rather than a standard cereal grow. So uh, thank you very much. No, thank you. And now it's time for Farm Chat. So we have Ian and John Boy and myself, Joe, and we're doing going to do a taste test of uh, comparison of milk. I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty nervous about this. I've got a cold, so if I get it wrong, I'm blaming it completely on that. Okay, so uh, here goes, moment of truth, dairy farmer. Yeah, that's definitely not cow's milk. I don't know what it is. It tastes like Weetabix. Yeah, I'd agree with that. What is that? 
I think I've nailed it already. I'm good at this. It's like my beer uh, performance. I reckon that is oat milk. Definitely not cows. It does taste like the milk from Weetabix. It's got a certain maltiness to it or something. I don't mind it. Oh. oh. Almond, almond milk. Okay. I'm a bit shocked. I, I once made the foolish mistake. Strangely, we had almond milk in the fridge in the office about a month or so back, and I stupidly put it in my coffee, and it yeah destroyed the coffee. It curdles, and it's bloody awful. I just, I, I'm not going to lie, that's the first time I've ever had almond milk. What do you reckon? What is your view then, being a dairy farmer? What do you reckon to these? I shouldn't say they're artificial milks, but they're trying to replicate milk. Your they're product. just not milk. It's a bit like um, vegetarian sausages. Well, they're not sausages. We had this debate and last week. Vegetarian burgers. Well, they're not burgers. It doesn't bother me if people drink these products, but to me, it shouldn't be classed as milk. But is it, I, I've got to say that wasn't as bad as what I thought it was going to be. So this this is option number two, and. So, John Boy, what do you think? It, I think it tastes more like porridge. Yeah. It's not milk. It's not cow's milk. Ian, it's, what do you think? That w- that wasn't too dissimilar to the one we just tried. I mean, it's drinkable, but compared to real milk, that's not a touch on it, is it? Well, I'm not going to. Well, yeah, I'm not going to comment too much. Uh, but yeah, no, it's. Um, I don't think that's milk. I would probably um, go with. I don't know what I'd get. I don't know what I'd go with. To be honest, I'm a bit upset because. I was really hoping you were going to completely cock this up and get your own milk wrong, but I think you're going to nail this so easily. If, if this is really, I mean, obviously both of them so far, it's okay. It's not something, you know, comparison to, say, nice, cold, traditional cow's milk. But if it's cold, I think it makes a lot of big difference. But anyway, let's see what this is. What's this? This is oat milk. Oh, right. That okay. would make the sense of the porridge then. Taste buds of a connoisseur there, John Boy. Just while Susie's bringing this next one round... Raw milk, obviously, this is your product. We're not about to try. I don't know what we're going to try the next one. Health benefits. I've got Mr. Motivator Joe next to me. He knows all about health and fitness. And John Boyd being the man it, that produces it. It, it comes back to the um, pasteurization process. They kill off all the ba- bad bacteria. I've forgotten when pasteurization came about. It was basically in New York, cows were living. People were dying left, right, and centre because the cows were living in sewage. And so they brought pasteurization about. And the thing is, dairy farming's moved on so much more with the hygiene that when they do pasteurization, not only does it kill the bad bacteria, but it also kills a lot of the good bacteria that's really good for your stomach. So we've had a lot of people come to buy raw milk that used to have, say, stomach issues, and they've gone away. It's supposed to help with eczema. And generally, it can help people lose weight because it helps the food break down. Oh, yeah, I'm going to fill my boots with the all your milk, John Boy. <laughs> Bring us a truckload of that next week. Yeah, but then again, look at me. It hasn't worked that well. <laughs> I know from sort of various, I mean, triathlon magazines and things like that, there's an element of, we, you talked about it last week in the last podcast, about too much meat in the diet, etc. Maybe, maybe not, depending on what sort of exercise you do. It's all sort of, you know, classic thing, real cliche, but it comes back to moderation. The benefits of something that's natural, whatever it is, is going to have a sort of balance in it. If you start adding stuff where the almond milk, if it's got added sweetener and things like this, and you're adding stuff to it, then it naturally is not going to necessarily work very well. I know from some of the reading and things like this from a nutritional background, natural milk is something where a lot of marathon runners, they'll go to milk because it's a... A, it's got a good protein, it's easy on the stomach, and, and it has sort of a nice balance of sugars in it and the biome that's in there already that, that helps the stomach sort of cope with... It, it is classed as a superfood, but no one's willing to put their name to it. There's a lot of people that are, uh, are dairy intolerant, but they can drink raw milk. I don't know why, I don't think people really know why, but when it's in its raw, raw state, there's, and there's people that don't like milk, drinking milk, and I remember when I first opened a friend of mine, I said, oh, just try it, and he goes, I don't like milk, John. He drank a litre 
it by the time he had left the milk barn. And he goes, it tastes completely different. The last one we've just tried. Now, what do you think? That's milk. That's milk? Ian, what do you think? I'm not sure it's yours, John, but it tastes like a semi-skimmed normal. I'm not sure it's the full fat. Oh, that is raw milk. Well yeah. done, John Boy. You know, you know your pride. I can, I can, I can sleep easy, <laughs> easy tonight. You've done well. We had, disappointingly, actually, we had some uh, um, blue top milk in the office the other day, and it made a great cup of coffee. And I said to the girls, come on, let's have a vote. Let's move away from semi-skim. Let's have some nice milk. And they absolutely shot me down. I think whether they, is this the misconceived idea that it is it fattening? It's fats that the body can break down. These are fats that the body is naturally able to break down. So we've Susie just walked in with the last one. I gotta say this, this looks is super. Bl- this is super white. Bloody awful. Go on, let's give it a go, guys. Oh no, that that just tastes like water. That's bloody awful. Not very nice water. I wouldn't even know what to guess. It's a hemp, hemp one. I've never even knew hemp made milk. I had no idea. So what's the purpose behind hemp? That looks like a really, really washy sort of emulsion that you might paint on something to start with and then chuck it away afterwards. It's a good analysis. Let's have a look at the carton. Susie's just walked around the carton. Let's see what it says. Good hemp, creamy seed milk. That sounds a bit dodgy. This mild all-rounder is a natural good source of good fats with omega-3, 6 and 9. Going down the whole uh, sort of natural route. They package all the other products. I'm not going to call them milk. Um, in, a, <laughs> in, in the type of packaging they use in, in, uh, over in Europe with the, the cut different type of cartons, with the, the cardboard cartons. The UK is really the only place that has it in plastic bottles. And I do think that the dairy industry probably needs to be looking more down that way and trying to use that type of um, packaging a bit more. That's interesting. I've got to say, John Boy, in credit to you, the only one of these milks that's been fully drunk is your milk. So um, top marks for you there. But I think, that, I think that's about it. I've quite enjoyed that. And uh, well done, John Boy. You've got to taste for your own gear. Thanks, uh, John Boy. Again, much appreciated. Joe's just mentioned, he said, uh, I wonder if we leave these um, glass of milk up here, whether or not they'll turn to yoghurt within a week or two's time. Not the royal milk, because it's all gone. Really? Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 